0: He wants you to say, this is a, a huge responsibility, and the only way I can do this is if I keep my eyes focused on you.
1: Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends, Karen. Good morning. And Tracy. Tracy. Good morning. Good morning. So, has everybody had a good, uneventful, stress-free week? What's no. that? <laughs>
2: did you just no. say something in a foreign language? I did not even <laughs> grasp what you were saying there.
1: <laughs> Words coming out, and none of it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's been, a, it's been a kind of a crazy week all around for a variety of reasons, between things happening in Texas and people with ailments that need healing and apparently Karen is turning to witchcraft. So, um, <laughs> no, okay, I'm kidding. We
2: have to explain this. That's just not even nice.
1: <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, i Guys,
2: what I'm actually doing is <laughs> I'm trying to make some voodoo stuff. No, I'm <laughs> trying to make some alchemy. No, I'm trying to make a skin salve. So I'm a redhead and I'm like clear right? So like no natural pigment, I'm just see-through. And so I have all of the sensitive skin issues, everything itches all of the time. And so I follow this channel on Telegram. That's all about alternative healing because my inner hippie is strong, right? And so this skin saff looks amazing. And I had all the ingredients I needed for it, except tree resin. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but way back when, do you guys remember hearing about the Balm of Gilead in the Bible? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, when I was a kid, for a while we lived in Wisconsin. And these my these neighbors that we had, one of them was my friend Lori. She was one year younger than me if I remember correctly, and she one time there was an accident. She got hit on the head with like a, a like a serious log. Like they were out getting firewood or whatever in the woods and she got hit the, and it split her scalp open. And so I anticipated that she would go get stitches, but no, they, they put Balm of Gilead on it and she healed up without stitches. So I asked her, I'm like, what's in the, what's in the Balm of Gilead? Like, what is that? And she goes, oh, it's just half olive oil and half pine pitch. And I was like, what, really? Really? And so I've always kind of had this thing in the back of my head, and I remembered that. Okay, so fast forward until now, I'm 50 years old, and I'm scrolling through this alternative remedies, health remedies thing on Telegram, and here's this thing that says, one of the oldest skin salve recipes in the world, and it's like, you know, olive oil and bees ba- beeswax and propolis and powdered tree resin, coniferous tree resin. And I'm like, what? I got to try it. So no, there's no witchcraft. <laughs> But I want to try making some stuff. And I'm having trouble finding a mortar and pestle because this tree resin is hard. Like I thought it was going to be gooey and I would just need to like dissolve it down into the olive oil and stuff like that. No, it is hard as a rock. So I'm trying to figure out how to pulverize it. Witchcraft.
1: Not even nice.
0: More
2: than you ever wanted to know about what Karen is doing this morning.
0: That's how I joined the call this morning. The inner chemist in me was like, uh, mortar and pestle, what did you say? <laughs> All right. Yeah. The, the the grin comes back at seven in the morning. We can do this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah, the, the hippie nerd is is working on a project.
2: All right. Well, anyway, on to Ezekiel. Yeah.
1: Yes. So, Which well, I like all ones.
2: of these chapters. I found like one confusing thing, but I liked all of these chapters.
1: This this week's reading did have some interesting stuff in it. So just for the little bit of context, of course, we are studying the, cha- uh, the book of Ezekiel. This week we're looking at chapters 34 through 39. Last week we were talking about specifically the um, like mostly the King of Tyre and Judgment on Egypt and uh, all the things that that entailed. And if those things interest you, especially the bit of about the King of Tyre and the parallels with the fall of Lucifer from heaven, uh, I would recommend if you haven't listened to that, go back and, and do so, because that is some really fascinating stuff. But this week we are we are getting into what I'm thinking is kind of the wind down of the, of the book of Ezekiel because we're in the last, you know, we're getting into the last handful of chapters here. And of course, Ezekiel is in Babylon. He was carried away early in the process of the, uh, of the takedown of Judah by the Babylonians. And they have, um, you know, we've gone through through siege and we've gone through cannibalism and we have gone through, oh, you know, any number of things. And so the reading then begins in, in uh, chapter 34 with uh, it's kind of an interesting. Oh, what's the word I want to use? Um, statement against what, what he calls the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. In verse two says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Uh, This is an interesting commentary and an interesting accusation against those church leaders who abuse the system for their own personal gain. And this would this would be this would be uh, an argument that we hear a lot of times from people who have a problem with organized religion, even today. Where uh, it would seem that churches a lot of times focus a lot on getting money and maybe not enough on actually shepherding the people. And um, I don't know, it's sort of a valid it's not sort of it's a very valid point to make about the state of leadership
0: in God's church. what do you have what do you guys think? That's always a hard one. Mhm-. You know and you can see Valid points from from both sides Yeah You know know, it's a Of course this isn't
1: talking just about money This is talking about using Using force Using power (laughs) To kind of Keep down the The population Because it talks about ruling with force And cruelty You know when people are looking to you to lead We have an extra responsibility put on us if we're in a leadership position. And if we are simply using that position to maintain that position, uh, that's a bad place to be in.
2: Or I think in the case of this, they were using it to maintain their comfort level of provisions while they held everybody below them down with their thumb. Mm -hmm. So – the verses that stood out to me so starting in we're in 34, yeah. Yes. It says um should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You right. eat the curds, close yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not and and I don't I don't necessarily take these things as literal. So a shepherd of the flock is going to be the A shepherd of a flock is going to be responsible for a flock's welfare, their safety from within and without their provision, right? And so then he says, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally so that they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the wild animals. This reminds me of Jeremiah 23, I think it is, where there's some like, woe to the shepherds who have done this stuff. Like it's this whole passage where God is like, no, no, I put you in charge of my flock and you mistreated it and it ended up scattered to the winds. But don't worry, I'm going to go out and one by one, I'm going to hand bring my people back.
1: Mm-hmm. So this
2: is this is just to me. This is a little bit more of a okay. You people did not do this. I'm going to do this. I, the Lord, am going to be the shepherd, because the people are are really doing a terrible job. And whether that's misallocation of resources, to me, you know, it sounds sounds like par- it was partially that because you eat the curds and close yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the people. But that could easily be spiritual as well because God's mm-hmm. government over Israel was meant to be spiritual and civil
0: you know i look at it and as an outline of self versus keeping your eye on god and what he wants you to do in his house and how he wants you to take care of those you know when you're in a leadership position and your focus should be on on the things he outlined you know strengthening them feeding them keeping them safe you know and sometimes i think that we get Caught up in the leadership position, and then self creeps in, where then it be doesn't become that focus anymore. And you know, I looked at this and kind of what I put is: is it an outline for the do's and don'ts of leaders, and do we follow that model, or have we gone away from that model? Because you know, I think there for a while uh, there was a huge, huge, big push, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Don't don't get me wrong here. Um, but there was a big push for there not to be so much a per se like leader in the church where it was more small groups. And, you know, I don't know if that's, that's the whole strength in numbers. And, and I don't know if it it recognized, you know, protecting those individuals or did it allow like small groups to uh, like maybe new, new believers that really needed that, you know, some mentorship. Does that leave them kind of, To their own understanding. You
1: know what I mean? Well I mean you
0: think about back. When
1: Saul was named king. And God didn't want the people. To have a king to begin with. Because he knew that the power. Would be abused. Just like it is all the way around the world. Which is Mm -hmm. you know exactly. What Samuel was telling them at the time. You know he's going to. He's going to use all this for his own purposes. And well, how do you put, you know, you're going to see your kids drafted into the, into the military. You're going to see your, your crops and goods used to, to hold up the, the, the government officials, um, all these things. And that's, what's really, I mean, that's, what's kind of being talked about here is, is where it's been played out now where they've been, we've seen exactly where this can lead. And it has led to where, god is basically saying the sheep have scattered because they haven't had a good shepherd Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, where ideally i was supposed to be your shepherd me alone right and you know i think it's a good um we just had a sermon about that yesterday it's like you know god was trying to tell samuel don't don't feel bad they didn't they didn't reject you they rejected me Mm -hmm. you know they don't want me to be their leader
2: well, and that's that. That's that history of infidelity that we have. Mm-hmm. We've seen throughout basically everything we've read so far in the Bible is like humans have an attention span that's like point one seconds long, and that was before the internet. Thank you very much. And then they, you know, they're just like, oh yeah, that's what I should do. And
0: look, a squirrel,
2: you know, and then they're off to the next thing. Mm-hmm.
0: You know and i think it's too that we've always talked about how self gets in there and that's the biggest downfall because once you know a person does get that leadership position and it's not everyone but then all of a sudden it becomes on it becomes a point of hey i kind of like this position and the perks that go along with it now let me try to secure it for me and mine and they lose focus
2: mm-hmm. well Okay. So, I work in the mental health field and so my point of view on a lot of the stuff that we read comes from that psych, sort of that psychology thing. And so there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it feeds into what we are seeing here and it feeds into one of the I think one of the main reasons that humans are so easily corrupted. So, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is this idea that our needs occur on a pyramid. And our very basic, our very base needs, air, food, shelter, procreation, you know, our very basic biological needs in order to exist are our first, our first priority. And humans tend to be needs-based. In other words, what we experience emotionally is typically what we're missing, You know, there's all this thing, well, be grateful and focus on what you have. Okay, human nature in its natural state tends to feel what you don't have. And so we tend to be needs based. And so you'll find, like in my line of work, I work with people who are severely mentally ill. Many of them are coming off the street, like they've never had their own place before. And, you know, you look at their kitchen and there's cockroaches and they're growing mold in the sink and you're like, why don't you know better than this? And they're like, what? I was raised by a drunk 15-year-old girl. I don't know any better than this. And so you have to show them, here's how you wash dishes. And if you clean up, right, you know, you really have to show them basics. So those basics of life are first. And only when that set of needs are met does your gaze, your intention, your wants lift to the next one. And then you experience that as a need. Well, now I want security. So, you know, first I need all my basic needs met. And if I'm living on the street or I'm a, a war-torn country, like some of the stuff that Israel's been going through, that's where your focus is. You know, like, can I go buy some dove dung for for supper? Like, that's where you're at. It's base survival. And only when that has been met does your gaze turn to the highest level, next, next level, which is security. And then after that, it's I don't remember what. But what I'm getting at is I think that, feeds human corruption because what what is the old quote power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely Mm -hmm. right and the reason for that is we gain a thing so for somebody who's going to be the leader of a people that's going to come with resources because the taxes flow up right so me the little guy i'm out of pocket the next guy above me is the one that receives those so I might be focused on survival. The guy above me is still trying to better himself and it's this clawing to the top thing. Now, if we were all benevolent and focused on other people, maybe that would be great and we could all help each other, but that's not usually how it works because, but I think this is one of the mechanisms through which power corrupts. It's like suddenly the person in power is like number one I like the power number two I like the resources that come with the power number three is there a way I can safeguard this for myself so I never ever 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 have to give it up right mm-hmm. and then and then and then poof you have corruption because now I've placed myself above the needs of the people I'm supposed to be serving so and that's and and I like God's response to this so God says I myself will search for my sheep and look after them Right. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land and pasture them on the mountains of Israel's and the ravines and the settlements. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. Okay. base needs. I'm going to bring them all home. And then there they will lie down in good grazing land. They will feed in the rich pasture. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down. I will search for the lost and bring them back. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong, the ones who are feeding off the little guy, the sleek and the strong, I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So that's pretty cool. So he meets all of their base needs for day-to-day provision. And security and care first, right? He meets mm-hmm. them. And then in the next section, starting in verse 17, he starts talking about relationship with, the, with those around them. Mm-hmm. He starts talking about the infighting in the form of mistreating each other in order to get mine. Did you guys notice that?
1: Mm-hmm. Like yeah.
2: he takes care of the flock he gathers them up from where they've run to he brings them back home he promises them good pasture and plenty of water and the safety to lie down in the presence of a shepherd and he's going to take care of their wounds and he's going to do this stuff and then he addresses their internal behaviors and by the way don't poop where you eat
1: mm-hmm. stop
2: sampling in your drinking water stop treating each other like this we're going to correct that also but he mm-hmm. marches right, and so this is me in my field. He marches right up that hierarchy of needs, from base needs to safety. To now, we're establishing good, good, solid relationships with those around us. I, I thought it was cool.
0: Yeah, it
1: it is cool, and it's funny how we all kind of, I would, I guess, I'd say, intellectually, maybe, emotionally, understand that this is the way we want things, yet we constantly turn to people who want the power i remember talking about once upon a time way back with saul you know when he was he, he was first named as king and and they couldn't find him because he was hiding i i almost admired that in him just a little bit although yeah. it doesn't make for a good leader uh, to well, to, to be afraid but the fact that he was like not seeking the power i found very appealing
2: yeah, I didn't think of it as him being afraid. I just thought of him as avoiding the spotlight. and yeah. and what, one of the jokes I've made for a long time about politicians is if you're the type of person who wants to be a politician, you're probably not the type of person who should be a politician. yeah, so it's it's right. like it's a character thing, like, yeah, I want to make some changes. Put me on there. okay? Yeah,
0: all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know too, I think it's also the the people that understand the gravity of their responsibility. And it, it weighs on them and they know that. And I think recognizing that is essential because that's what you want in the leader that understands that, you know what, I'm leading these people and there can be people that get hurt and that's my responsibility. And Mm -hmm. I take that very serious and I don't want anybody hurt. And that's their primary focus that tends to make them humble and still accessible and, and hasn't, they haven't been corrupted. And I say that yet. Yeah. (laughs) Because what we find is just like Saul and and like you were saying, that's where I think you see the humility of Saul first to say, man, this is a huge, huge responsibility. Mm -hmm. I don't feel I'm up to it. And I think that's what the Lord wants, that he wants you to say, this is a, a huge responsibility. And the only way I can do this is if I keep my eyes focused on you. And still know that all of my strength and power comes from you. And I think that's where we get most corrupted. And, you know, I look at it and and exactly what Karen was saying with Maslow is that I always look, think of King David. Everything. He had everything. And what happened? His gaze was put on a naked woman across the way mm-hmm. to the point where he... Israel and the people was always his primary focus to say that, you know what? I need to kill Uriah to get what I want. Crazy. I mean, I will, crazy I will hide perfectly. it for a year. And the only person that will see me, and what was the example that Samuel gave to him? You know, there was a guy with only one sheep mm. and it was part of his family. And somebody came and snatched that away from him that had hundreds of sheep. And David flew off the flew off the the handle and was like, kill him, he needs to be killed. He shouldn't. Have, it's you.
2: <laughs>
0: what you did to Uriah, you. And that's what clicked back in David and said, You know what? Just like Aaron, I've been corrupted. Yeah. This all so, this has corrupted me.
2: President Obama said something interesting once in an interview. He said, it's kind of goes along with what we're talking about here and where Israel found itself. He said, you know, when people, when people get into politics, this is an extremely rough paraphrase, when people get into politics, it's usually with the best of intentions. And, yeah. like, they see things not great in the world, they want to make a change, they feel like they could go out on that limb and make those changes. And then they get into the system and they see how big and complex it is, and they start, to use a word from the Bible, they start trading so instead of, you, they end up losing their ideals, right? They get into the system and they're like, oh, well, it's kind of like, it's like a system of barter and trade for favors. And so you get caught up in the system and and then you're just trying to get work done, but you end away, you end up giving away things that are important. And then in the end, you're just another politician. It's mm-hmm. like, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty blatant, you know,
0: that's, that's tough. That's tough stuff. It is, you know, but I was, I go back to this, but God always has the, has the solution. Yes. He's like, but don't fear because you know what? In light of everything that you've been corrupted and all the leadership and how terrible it is. I personally will go and find each one of those sheep and bring them back. Yep. And I will take care of them and I will be their leader. So, you know. And I think that speaks to some of the people that are disenchanted with the whole process and that say, you know what? I can't go to church. There's too much politics. You know what? Don't try. And this is hard to say because it try not to look at that. Try not to be that factor that you don't. That's the reason you don't want to go to church. Mm-hmm. The factor of, you know what? God is leading you there and will provide for you. Yeah. But, you know, and I and I look at this younger generation and and that's what I hear. Why aren't, why aren't there's twenty year olds bombarding the church, packing you know packing the church? Because yeah. the first thing they say, oh, I don't like the politics, or you know, people are <laughs> hypocrites, or they look bad, or down at me and my generation. But it's like, you know what? That could be your church. It's like you can go forward and you could put make that your place of worship and in and good for your generation if you will just go and and i think that's what satan wants is that it's like no don't go and then it erodes the foundation yeah yeah
2: well i i do believe um i do believe that satan works to encourage the feeling of misfit in younger generations to where they i've noticed and and i remember being this way myself when i was younger like I refused to buy into a system that I knew could be good because I could see flaws in it. There is no such thing as a human system that does not have flaws in it. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't establish those relationships and try to make it the best you can. But when I was young, I found it very easy to say, well, that person over there is acting hypocritically and that's stupid. I don't want to be part of that. And so I'm going to go over here. And, and I think that young people are struggling to find their unique place in the world. Like it's a simultaneous, I want to fit in, but I want to be special, right? And that's pretty tough to juggle. And so when it comes to finding a church family and embracing that kind of messy, close, irritating, comforting set of relationships, how do you buy into that? If you, if you, if your focus is on feeling simultaneously accepted and special, it, mm-hmm. it's it's hard. It's just difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the way God responds to all this. I mean, like we're sitting here focusing on the human aspect of it, but actually in ch- chapter 34, like the focus is actually on God's response to it. Like right. humans have made a mess. They've made a mess. They've made a spiritual mess. They've made a governmental mess. They've made all kinds of mess. And here comes God. And he's like, No. No, we're not going to play that way. You're, you and your humanness have destroyed what should have been good. And so I'm going to come in behind you and clean up. Book of Revelation, anyone?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, and part of what he talks about as the solution in saving the flock, I found this interesting. He says that he is going to have one shepherd over the flock, and it's going to be his servant, David. What do you make of that? I mean, obviously... King David isn't being resurrected and and <laughs> ruling over them. You know, there, there, there's no there's there's no reason to think that. So, um, do you think that this was talking more about a oh like a, a a cultural similarity of his people, and you know, reminding them of their past and where they came from, or do you think this is looking forward to perhaps the Messiah, or do you think it's maybe something in the middle, or something entirely
0: different?
2: I wondered that, too. I ended up thinking that, I mean, they knew knew from early prophecies that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David, and so I ended up just taking it as that. Mm -hmm. That it was a a nod forward to where the ultimate salvation is going to come from the line of David. So in that respect, David is all of our king.
1: It's kind of where I was going, too, there, I think. Yeah, where...
2: Yeah, it I did just inter- two on that for a while. I was like, wait, did I miss like 20 chapters in here somewhere? Like what <laughs> happened?
1: Yeah, 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 I think. Yeah, I think you're probably right. It's probably more line of David. So it, it is kind of in the middle of everything where it's looking back to that commonality they had when King David was an amazing king who had flaws. Let's not let's not let's not uh, let's not beat around that bush. But um but that was the glory time, or at least it was the rising to the glory. And everybody seems to look to David, even more than Solomon, for being that that, that example of when things were great. For mm, that's
2: that's I think I think there's a very specific reason for that. And that is that David was the one who fought through adversity to create that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Solomon was the one that ruled in peace. And mm-hmm. so now now look where they are. They're torn mm-hmm. apart. They're scattered. They're here and there. They don't need somebody to sit in opulence with his 600 and whatever wives contemplating wisdom. They need somebody with a sword in his hand and some cojones.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. No, you're right. I mean,
2: I, I just like, I can, I just feel my estrogen rise every time I read stories about David and his mighty men of valor. I'm like, where can I date one? I just, I know he'll be old at this point. I'll try. I just want to (laughs) try.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. <clears throat> but the point being that God is taking charge, like we've been saying here for a while. He's taking charge. Uh, he will. He's gonna come. He's gonna make a covenant of peace. You know, we we we've recognized that every single time God's people fell away, rather than just completely writing them off, He would always start over. It's like, let's bring the covenant in. Let's bring that covenant in. I want you to be my people. I'm gonna be your God. And He would He would start it over.
2: Do you think that he's actually talking about just the local Israelites because when after this did Israel ever live in peace again like was there a good long stretch of time is all of this prophetic like did how do you how did you guys take that
1: You know I took a lot of the reading that we had today as being prophetic primarily yeah. because mm-hmm. we don't ever really see the physical kingdom of Israel becoming this great Example of godliness, of power, unity, unity of Mm -hmm. an example, you know, all these things. And so a lot of things we talk about later on in some of these chapters, too, uh, when we get into some of this other stuff, I think is very much talking about prophetic, more end times stuff. And even some of it, I think that we talk about is beyond Christ's return. That we that we that we read about today, and so I think largely that was it. I mean, I do think that with the coming of the Messiah, Jesus did manage to give at least some semblance of unity. But we're still human beings, and we you know we've got how many different uh, denominations now. But he he, he finally it? gave yes. us a central focus that we could that we can you know the denominations we can all at least look and recognize jesus as being the center and uh, so so there is that but you know like i said we're still human beings and and we can foul up the the the, the greatest of things that we're given so just look
2: at us stomp around in our drinking water aren't we clever
1: yeah <laughs> aren't we
2: clever yeah. herd animals without a leader yay go us <laughs>
1: Yeah. So just briefly finishing up that chapter, there's a little mention there showers of blessing, which is.
2: Yes. I've been had that stupid song stuck in my head ever since. <laughs> you guys hear it?
1: Go Karen.
2: No, I've <laughs> sung it enough times. My showers of blessing, showers <laughs> of blessings we need. Yeah, no, mm, 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 it hurts.
1: <laughs> I actually, you know, back, back in, my previous church when Tracy and I grew up in, that was a, that was a song I actually really enjoyed singing back then, back when we would sing the hymns, because that would be one that didn't turn into a funeral church. (laughs) Although there's some people could manage to make it into that. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta speed up the tempo of it, people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the, the, the ultimate, the ultimate end of that chapter is that the, and this comes back and back and back comes back all the time is that people, the people will know, that God is the Lord when he has delivered them from their captors and makes them safe. So, as we move on then into chapter 35, it's a pretty brief little thing about judgment on Mount Seir, which is a mountainous region south of the Dead Sea and is basically, we're talking about Edom, really, yeah. when we get right down to it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have judgment because of this ancient hatred that they've had against Israel, that old Hatfields and McCoy thing. We've talked about it before. We don't really need to dwell on an ear.
2: But Otherwise been... known as the old Jacob and Esau thing.
1: Exactly. Pretty exactly. Much. But uh, the ultimate uh, takeaway from 35 is that it's going to be known that God's hand is in Edom's downfall that they're they're being dealt with at this point. Um which has been a lot of the the push of a lot of what we've read in Ezekiel is that these surrounding nations are all getting dealt with uh kind of all in one one big fell swoop with this uh hammer that is Babylon. Chapter 36
2: to me that was more about Israel's restoration. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't mind reading it but like, 34 was just so beautifully worded that 36 was kind of like, oh, that was a nice try. I'll go back and do 34 again. It's basically <laughs> like, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to settle you. The, your land will become, you know, productive again. And, you know, it's it's reestablishment of Israel. And there again, <laughs> since we know, since we're later in history and we know the history of Israel, you got to wonder, like, how much of this was contemporary to them and how much of this was looking down the tunnel of time to Spiritual Israel.
0: We have been in doom and gloom for 20 chapters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I will take 34 and 36 because at least it's a positive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like mm. we have just we've seen them Israel be ripped apart and God telling them this is what brought it on. All the bad stuff. But like we said, there's always that flicker at the end of like the, the four or five chapters that we cover that says, but what? wait, I will still restore you. Yeah. And our block this time has been just more of the restoration, which was an, on a better note to me that I was thinking it's like, okay, so maybe we're, we're past the doom and gloom.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, there was a couple of things here in 36 that I would like to discuss a little bit here. One of them being uh, verse 18, where it talks about God's fury is for... um shed blood and idols. And I thought it was interesting that the shed blood gets mentioned before the idolatry, because we've, we've read a lot about how God hates the idolatry. But I, I tend to think that when we talk about things and we make a list, a lot of times the lists kind of fall in order of priority. It, it, it almost seems like God is more upset with Israel and Judah's violence maybe even than he is about the idolatry.
2: So as a female, I'm just going to read this one verse, and then I'm going to complain for a minute. Mm -hmm. This is chapter 36, verse 17. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight excuse me creator of that particular cycle
1: mm-hmm.
2: why would you say that's something undesirable Ooh. I don't get it
1: well do you enjoy it
0: <laughs> god made it certainly but so I think it's a i think it's what a, is that an insult
2: you gotta pick the, an insult why is I, that the
0: insult because I think it's it's a way that it's it's viewed among the masses, male and female. It's not something that's looked highly and favorable, favorably, but serves a, a purpose. And sometimes to me, I, just, I, I look a little deeper that says, you know what? It's, it's not ideal for you. People don't enjoy it, but it serves the purpose of, of cleansing and restoration. And um, that's kind of how I take it you know what i mean i don't think it's a yeah. shot number one at a woman i think it's just kind of using the process that you know what although it doesn't look favorable it serves a purpose
1: yeah it it's interesting to me how much god uses sexuality to kind of describe himself and his relationship to his people yeah um you know that's one of those things we kind of gloss over when we're telling the bedtime stories to our kids. But and Jesus know,
2: it, calls us His bride, and He encourages yes. us to be virginal, right? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but uh, you know, I think the point of it is uh, is to point out the level of intimacy. Right. Obviously, we're not we're not talking about a literal sexual relationship with God. We're just talking about a a, a level of intimacy with God. And if you have had a sexual relationship with somebody. And you come to the, a woman's menstruation, um, it tends to, I don't know how to word it. Um, I get, you know, I, you know, Karen, I think it was a week or two ago, you were bringing this out on something we were reading about that when men, I trying to remember the exact situation, but it was like men not being able to show enough self-control to stay away from a woman while she was menstruating. Let's just put it on the table. It's messy. It's not comfortable for you, and why would a really? I mean, why would a man want to get into that? You know, uh, I'm trying to be delicate here. So <laughs> but,
2: delicate. No, you're doing great, bull in a china shop.
1: Uh huh. Exactly. <laughs> Crash. Smash. Um, but um, so I don't know that it's so much a an insult. I think it's a matter of of a situational. It's just a situational description. Where, where it's, you know, it's kind of a mess and, you know, like I said, it is necessary. It has a, it has a function, but, uh, in terms of intimacy, that's a time when, that's a time when intimacy is really just sort of that, not
0: not the most it, desirable at that.
1: Yeah. Point. Physical intimacy in that situation while possible is just kind of a mess, kind of gross. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. Let me let me uh, hang on. My foot is right in my mouth. I need to get it out. So, on, guys, uh, help us out. <laughs> <clean>.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. Here. We're floundering. Come on.
1: I, uh, it I, just, I,
2: uh, it's strange to me. I realize that the Bible sort of equates everything to spirituality, but the <laughs> way that it refers to it as uncleanness, it's like this is God talking. He made that uncleanness to happen.
1: True. But remember, he did tell the he told told everybody don't touch a woman while she's doing this. And you got to remember this is from a time when the knew... week
2: afterwards, wasn't it? <laughs> well, yeah.
1: I mean, for several reasons, I think it was, you know, for uh, maybe for the woman's privacy, but just for health reasons at a time when people's hygiene consisted basically of wash it with water. I mean, we didn't have soap. We didn't have antibiotics. We didn't have ways, you know, blood carries
0: and they didn't get in the water stuff. much. To begin with,
1: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when we call it uncleanness, it really was an opportunity for for disease to spread. Not uh, here we go again, but I mean, not that a woman is, is diseased, but um, Karen, there's help. there's just there's just a number of reasons why why physical contact at that time is just, especially in a time when. They didn't have the medicines that we do. We, they didn't have the medical knowledge that we do. Just uh, it's, it was a good thing to stay away from.
0: So uh, we What did you say,
2: Tracy? I heard my name there in the background. What were you saying?
0: Help us out, please. <laughs> please.
2: I, I thought it was annoying. Girl, I don't understand life, it. I don't right? understand why women couldn't go to the temple during that time. It's like that is a perfectly natural part of the life cycle. It just means you didn't get knocked up this month. Why should that keep you from going to church? If somebody told me that I couldn't go to church if I was having my period, I'd be so mad. I'd be like, that's it. I'm going yeah. to a different church.
1: But are, uh, but are you are you thinking of it with modern context where we have ways of, of containing that? And uh, Oh, really?
2: And... and you're just assuming that everybody just I... bled down their legs to the floor before? No,
1: <laughs> of course not.
2: No, of course not.
1: And <laughs> I just I just it was a different time. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, it's Sarah. very
2: strange to me and it I'm not going to lie. It got my hackles up just a little bit cuz it was <laughs> the author of that monthly process that is the ones using it as an insult. Yeah. Your conduct has been like a woman's un- monthly uncleanness to me. It's like, wait, why is that an insult? You made that to happen. I didn't <laughs> choose this.
0: <laughs> no no
2: okay that's it i'm uh, done with
1: yeah,
0: my rant uh, it, was it, was just, a, it was just the uncomfortable and undesirable part
1: that he there was you go alluding to yeah the one of the one of the few times that i'm not throwing barbs at karen <laughs> and i end up in worse trouble for the effort
0: <laughs> but you have the cutting from room floor on your side so <laughs> take a hatchet to this last six minutes we need to <laughs> Oh, oh, have mercy on us, Matt. Take it out. Yeah. Yeah. How about we move on? <laughs>
1: so uh, another part about this that was interesting, where God says that he is doing all of this to protect his holy name. It's God's reputation that's on the line in all of this, where his supposed people has done such a bad job of representing him that he's got to do a He's got to do a a do over and show and just say, this is not how my people should be acting. I'm not going to let it happen. We're going to make sure that everything turns around and people are going to know that my hand is in this. So as Judah falls, this is me doing it as Judah is raised back up. This is me doing it. It's my name, God's name that is being restored. At one point, he even says in uh, verse 32, he says, it's not for your sake that I'm doing this. Uh, no,
0: think- he set it up that way. When we went back and you know, we've been mentioning Saul, but that's what he told Samuel. He's like, this is not what I pictured. It was yeah. supposed to be me. I was supposed to be the focus on the whole nation. It was my nation. It was a theocracy. We didn't need a king. You don't need a king. You have me. I've provided everything for you, but you want to be like the world. So I'll let you. Mm -hmm. And then I'll have to restore you because it's not going to go well for you. Yeah. Because that wasn't the intended plan. And hence we go back, just like we've always mentioned. It's the it's revelation all over again. I need to go back and I need to correct everything.
1: Yeah. and I think, too, it's interesting that We tend to put ourselves at the center of the gospel. You know, God died or Jesus died for us. He did this for us. He's restoring me. Where we forget to put that emphasis on God is the one who died. God is the one who is restoring. God is the one who is on trial. This whole thing is all about God's character. What's he going to do? It's less way less about us and far more about about him and we do well to remember that this is his story maybe more so even than it's our story well shall we get into chapter 37
2: then and another song is stuck in my head
1: oh <laughs> dry bones yeah. dry bones Them bones this is an inter okay so this is a very interesting vision that ezekiel gets if you're familiar with the story uh if you're not familiar with the story he, God takes Ezekiel in vision to this valley that is apparently just littered with human remains. And by human remains, we're talking bones and, it's, and it's calls them dry bones, which indicates they've been here for a while. There is no life left in these bones. They're just laying out there on the ground. You know, my, my, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, is, was this the site of a, of a battle, um, Are these, you know, is this a, like some literal valley somewhere? I kind of doubt it, but it definitely, though, it is a, it is a depiction of a place where life is absent and Ezekiel's commanded to tell the bones that God is going to restore life to them. And so as Ezekiel is speaking to them these bones begin to form flesh back on them. You could probably imagine some Hollywood, in fact, you know, the first thing I think of here's, here's a, here's a great, uh, a reference for Bible study, but, um, the, the, the mummy movie with Brendan Fraser several years ago, when the mummy started to get all of the muscles and stuff back on his body, you know, it was kind of a it was kind of a cool but really gruesome looking scene. I mean, if you can imagine these bones and then like the body reforming from from the bones out and you can imagine, you know, the organs and the and the muscles and sinews all all coming on and wrapping around the body and intertwining the way they're supposed to. And then finally you have skin and then you ultimately you have a a human being or a human body laying there not just not just bones i just this a, a sight like this must have just blown the mind of a guy who who didn't have hollywood already to uh showing him uh what this could possibly look like yeah
2: I was, been, say, I was just gonna say i was listening the, to you draw an immediate correlation to hollywood and then like ezekiel didn't have any hollywood
1: it was
0: right. just like oh what's the whoa did you mm. see what just happened
1: uh-huh
0: but he had some of those other moments remember we had alluded to that some mushroom context back in the beginning. hmm You know, so he was one for vivid visions.
1: He's seen he some weird stuff, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 But so so now it seems like now you have a valley that's riddled with bodies. They're still dead, but now it just, you know, uh, uh, basically a, a valley full of corpses. And God says to him, prophesy to the breath. That breath, that word breath there used is Ruach, which is uh, means winds. It's been translated as spirit essentially. But, you know, prophesy to the breath. And so he I don't know exactly what he says, but as he does this, life comes into the bodies. It's restored. They begin to breathe. Uh, whatever that life power force is that comes from God that makes us into a whole human being a whole soul comes into those bodies and they come to life so those bones then are representing Israel believing that they really have no hope at this point we've we we've seen Israel just taken down I guess the analogy really holds it's really been taken down to the bare bones to to the basic structure of of what's left, which is essentially at this point it's just people carried off. Some of them, a lot of them have died. Uh, And if you are trying to if you're looking at what's going to happen to our nation next, what's going to happen to us next, um, you can get into a point where you're like, I don't know if there's any hope to be had here. And so that's what's being represented by these bones. And through this, God promises that he's going to open their graves. And he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you and you shall live. So we're talking about a restoration of hope and fruitful life for people. I think there's a lot of people even today who really could benefit from understanding this vision. It's not just about the nation of Israel. This is about us this is about individual human beings who have begun to lose hopelessness i remember a few episodes ago we were talking about i think karen you were the one who said it Mm -hmm. people who and maybe i'll let you say it but but you know the correlation of hopelessness to the suicide to suicide
2: yeah so basically what i said in case people didn't catch it was um there there is You would think that depression was a big indicator of suicide. It is not. It is actually hopelessness. It is the biggest indicator of suicide.
1: Yes. And so this restoration of hope and a fruitful life is what's being represented by God's ability to take even things that seem dead and restore them. It's a... I don't know. It's it's a it's a valuable it's a valuable message. I know a lot of people have really attached themselves to that hope, and it's a it's a good hope to hold on to. That God can restore you, no matter where your life is, no matter where you have found yourself. If you can, if you can trust in God, uh, He is able to restore you.
2: When he's talking about the the valley of the dry bones, I think this can be anyone who's died out. I mm-hmm. think this, I think he's talking about the heart and soul of Israel, which is the heart and soul of spiritual Israel as well. So I think that nations can read this and individuals can read this and you can take these promises for yourself. That's the way I see it. God can wake anything up. Mm-hmm. Like as long as the, as long as there is something there to choose him he can wake anything up. It doesn't matter how dead it looks from outside, from a human perspective. And I yeah. and I think this is a particularly nice, not nice as in flowers and puppy dogs, but nice as in sort of gritty and real. It doesn't matter how dead and decayed something appears to be. God can breathe life back into it. All he needs is choice, our choice.
1: Yes Chapter moves on then It talks about Two sticks Ezekiel is supposed to pick up Two sticks and he's supposed to write on them A couple of things One stick he's supposed to write For Judah and for the children of Israel His companions And on the other stick he's supposed to write For Joseph the stick of Ephraim And for all the house of Israel his companions And he's supposed to Join the sticks together and they're going to become one stick, and so God is reuniting the divided Israel to become one nation again, which I find interesting because it seems like mostly Northern Israel, we it's just gone. I think people, I think we've talked about before how they kind of just got dispersed, and those twelve, or the, not those twelve, but those tribes just kind of disappeared but i think the point here is that is that it's not going to be viewed as two separate governmental agencies anymore it's going to be one unified purpose of of following god so i think there's maybe less of a literal aspect to it and maybe more of a prophetic aspect to it seeing God bringing unity he uh he rea- reiterates here David my servant will be king over them and so I had a question again are we talking common background are we talking messianic I think it's sort of both remembering that line of David Jesus being of the line of David remembering we all come from the same place essentially and yeah. that so ooh,
2: verse I 24 thinking? I thought is the one that kind of cleared it up says, my servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. To me, that pointed forward.
1: Yeah. So he talks about how he is going to set his sanctuary in their midst forevermore. Well, this obviously is not literal because while we did get another temple, we don't have a temple right now, not a physical building sitting over there in Jerusalem. But the sanctuary, the joint where God and man meet is a part of his people forever.
2: But what about like in the, in the New Testament after the crucifixion, mm-hmm. the temple is among us because your body is the temple of God. So is there a heavenly yes. sanctuary? Yes, but there is no longer an earthly sanctuary where the day-to-day sacrificial system and atonement occurs It occurs within each of us. So when, and so I was curious what that meant. Like when my sanctuary is among them forever, is that the pr- the presence of Jesus on the earth and the way that that changed the way it eliminated the external sacrificial system and brought it inside of us that kind of wondered about that.
1: I think so. I think so. Because well, you know i think it was i think it is paul who very specifically says that our bodies are the temple of god and he's talking about you know taking care of your physical body there but also you know this is where the holy spirit lives in us yeah that the 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 physical temple is no more but it is about he, jesus having fulfilled things and and the the dwelling of the holy spirit in us go ahead yeah
2: I, I think i the the simplest way that I visualize it is that at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, the sacrificial system became real instead of symbolic, and it got down to the actual heart of the matter, which was our heart. And so it moved from being an external process to being an internal process.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Which really is the only way that ever does become eternal is because god has taken it out of our hands it's it's him managing the system now and and uh and making it eternal yes okay well chapter 38 i well 38 and 39 we get introduced to something that we really haven't heard about before starts talking about Gog of the land of Magog. Now we have heard the name Magog before. This was one of the sons of Japheth. So this would be what a grand would have been a grandson of Noah. Uh, But now we're talking about a nation and it's. I was looking at the map and this this nation is about a thousand miles, literally a thousand miles north from Jerusalem. If I was looking at the map correctly, this is only one of two times really that Gog and Magog are named at all the nation of Gog and Magog. And so I was scratching my head reading about all this because, okay, let's, let's, let's get the context here. God is talking about how may, how Gog is, is going to, at some point attack Israel. And I'm, I'm jumping forward here and, 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 See, I'm floundering because it's 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 I'm very curious of why I was very curious of why this nation is brought into the story now, because we haven't heard about them before. We're not going to hear about them again until we get into Revelation and some very specific end times stuff going on. Right. Like we're talking after God's people have been. After Christ's return, after God's people have been taken away, after Satan is here for a thousand years in captivity and the new Jerusalem comes back. I mean, that's way, you know, I mean, that's way in the future before we hear about these people again. So I'm like, why Gog? And, uh, you know, it's talking about how they'll be led away with hooks in their mouths, like we talked about a couple weeks ago with Egypt and it sounds like all their military strength is going to be at- intact. In so it's almost like they're going to try to attack, but they're going to get captured and hauled off before that can happen. Um, and it very specifically talks about in the latter years, they will think they can invade an unprotected land of peaceful and prosperous people. And I found an interesting note about this because like I said, Gog hasn't been doesn't seem to have been a factor before doesn't seem like it'll be a factor in the future. But I guess at the time and I don't know why Ezekiel would do this necessarily, but it sort of fits. But at the time. They would like writers would use cryptography to to get a message across. And I got to look it up here. So when you look at the name of Magog in Hebrew. There's basically no vowels from what I can tell. So you would end up with what would be MGG. They would flip that around backwards, and then they would use simple cryptography where the... I don't remember it was the preceding letter or the following letter. I don't remember exactly how it goes, would be used. But then you end up with basically BBL. Am I making sense here? So it would seem possibly magog is being used as a code for babel babylon i don't know why i don't know why they would do it that way i don't know why why ezekiel would choose to to use code to reference to babylon Um, but maybe that is some indication of why magog gets brought in here Uh, i don't know that's maybe more confusing than it needs to be
0: well, You know, you could easily say that he probably needed to use some kind of code if he was talking about the downfall of his captors right now in the height Whoa. of their success.
1: That's a good point. I hadn't you know kind of really that, considered it that. He was just
0: basically saying, you know what, hold fast, guys, because at this point, you know, God has shown me that down the road, you know, we're going to be restored. He already knew that and that this was a process. So instead of naming them outright and bringing more, heat on them it's just like I'll use this code could possibly you know but my thing is I kind of had you know back to what was it Revelations 20 isn't it
1: uh yeah
0: 28 and 9 is when they bring it up again but my thought was the whole process of you know what things are going well we're restored and yet something is coming up against us Mm
1: -hmm. again
0: and I'll take care of those things it's just I think it was the same rebellion. He's trying to demonstrate the same rebellion that's going to happen against him mm-hmm. again. I'll bring you out. Things will be good. But you know what? There's always going to be something. And Gog and Magog is, is, was the example.
1: Yeah. I really took all this to be less literal for the immediate history there of of Israel, since they're not brought up again for thousands of years. And so, at least amongst the three of us, I think we understand that some of that end times uh, situation to be that God's people will get will be taken away to the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem will be brought to Earth at some point after after a thousand years of being away, and Satan is here on the Earth all by himself with nobody left to corrupt, and he has to sit for a thousand years and think about what he's done, basically. But then there is like another resurrection where then those who have not been following God have not been on God's side rise up. And then Satan says, look, there's the city. They're just ripe for the picking. Let's go get them. And that's when evil is finally wiped out for good. They don't even have a chance to, you know, build so much as a siege wall. You know, they don't have any chance to really do anything. They, 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 They it's that last ditch effort to try to to try to defeat God. And God finally says, no, this is it not going to happen. That was sort of my take on this whole idea of Gog and Magog, because it's the way we read it in these last what couple of chapters really was. It's like this nation is going to rise up and it's going to immediately fall as it tries to come up against Israel they really, it really amounts to to nothing other than, you know, trying to pound on their chest and 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 make an effort, but uh, they really don't really seem to have an impact because it's, because it's done. You know, there's talk about the burial of Gog in chapter 39, and it's like the, it'll be remembered because it's like, they're going to have a burial place in Israel. It talks about, it's going to be called Haman Gog. The multitude of Gog, there's talk about bodies and remains being buried for seven months, which seems maybe more of uh, an indication of totality because that number seven really represents. It, it's like considered a per- perfect number in the Bible, where if you hear the number seven, somebody does something seven times. It's like we're doing it completely. And so uh, these these bodies are, are completely buried
2: so that's not an OCD thing, because I think of that as an OCD thing.
1: <laughs> I think the point of it more is that it's just being put away; it's just okay. being done. Because oh. I could
2: suggest some medication if you feel like.
1: <laughs> well, we could maybe suggest some medication to Ezekiel for some of these things he sees. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really the way I was seeing it, though, is that it's just it's just complete. They're they're wiped out. They're buried. There's nothing left of them to see, although it does seem like this will be kind of a place of remembrance. What they've done won't be forgotten. It's going to be like indelible into the history of this great controversy story that that everything is is about uh, and, and will remember. They tried to rise up and God took care of it. and. We don't see them anymore. I mean, to the point, he talks about a triumphant festival with birds and bees are invited to a sacrificial meal. And it talks like like God is saying, This is a sacrificial meal that I that I presented to you. You're gonna feast on all these mighty men and all the all the men of war. And the ultimate culmination of chapter 39, then is the restoration of Israel. It says, All the nations shall see my judgment. Verse 23 says, The Gentiles shall know. So this spreads beyond Israel, everybody will look, they will see, they will understand that God is in charge, that God has lifted things up, that God has fixed things. The captives will be brought back Says after they've borne their shame. They'll know that God sent them into captivity and brought them back. And then he says, the final thing I have a note here is on verse 29, and I will not hide my face from them anymore. For I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel forever. So this is why I really take the this whole thing with Gog and Magog to be more of the finality of all of it. So if if it is a cryptography for even for Babylon, I still think it's pointing to a point in the future when it is all finalized, when the conflict is done, when everyone who is alive understands that god is in control the people who have died and been raised they get raised long enough to understand god is in control and that he has the final word on all of it
0: you know and i throw in there i think too that there's the understanding that yes you're absolutely right god is in control that his everything that he does is is just and it's understood yeah so there's no confusion. Why am I here? What did I do? I think it's all presented.
1: Yeah. yeah, you
0: know, and then, you know, you basically submit to yeah, you know your your word is just and true.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, and we're burying the past. We
0: all
1: we all we all see where it was buried. We're not going to dig it back up. It's just it's just going to be done. It's just going to be done and and God will not have to face hide his face anymore because his people will have at last learned the lesson.
2: I agree with you. I've always thought that Gog and Magog were looking forward.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really make sense for it to be literal at the time because I don't I don't know of any historical time of when they really did anything. So I'm not aware of it. I'm not a great historian. But. Yeah. Oh, we know. <laughs> just, Take just it kidding. till you make it, Karen. That's my motto.
2: Just kidding.
0: <laughs> or until our millions of fans call us on it.
1: Right. Yeah. Hey, you know, <laughs> bring, I keep it, sa- bring it. <laughs> exactly. I keep saying, send us an email. If you we if you it. think if you think I'm wrong, you think you know something, let us know. We'd love to talk about it here. Or we you want- can just
2: say it out loud and roll your eyes. I mean, that's what I always
1: do. <laughs>
0: Thanks Aaron Now we know why I don't have the camera on (laughs) Oh I can hear the eyes rolling Great
1: (laughs) I can hear the eyes rolling All right. well I think that'll probably About do it for this week Now next week Okay I'm going to I'm going to throw something out there Usually I give us like a definite of what we're going to do I'm going to Give us sort of an Open-ended option here Because we're getting at the end of of the book of Ezekiel There are nine chapters left Here's what I'm going to say We will read the chapters 40 through 48 That's going to be the end of the book Next week then we will talk about As much of it as we can get to in a manageable time Um, If we get through it all Fantastic. If we don't, we'll carry it into the into the following week because it seems like some interesting historical things going to happen. There's some more visions of a temple that I don't think gets built. It's a lot of it's. A, it seems like a lot of descriptive stuff, and we will just study it and see how it how it plays out. So, so listeners and fellow podcasters, we're going to look at Ezekiel 40 through 48. And see where it goes Uh, While you are waiting for that Remember, please If you do not like what we said Or you do Reach out to us at at May Remember that you can Look us up on Facebook Please be sure to share the podcast With your friends and family And uh, Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast So that we reach you in your feed Each and every week And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for
0: listening. Do it in love.